to be called your own, but that it is through your Son that we are saved, through your Son we are changed, through your Son everything in our world gets turned upside down, and um, everything in our world is defined then through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, this morning as, as we uh, study and learn more about you through the words that uh, you have to, to, to say to us through Scott, we just ask that you would give us uh, ears to hear, hearts to apply, and, and feet and hands that are anxious and willing to go out and do the things that you would have us be about. Um, thank you for, uh, for Scott. Thank you for uh, these people in this room. I just ask that your spirit would guide and direct us in our time of worship and study now. It is in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. And children who have Sunday school um, may be dismissed. Something I ate, I guess, perhaps. A few years ago, going there, there are workers there, are folks who have been at that process for many years. In the, to be in that place, they have a lot of secrecy and things so that they can actually bring the gospel to people who can't hear uh, by the rules of their government. So one of the things, or several things we had to do in training for this trip was, was to learn how not to say certain things and how to do certain things the right way. Because in that culture, there are people who are listening and watching. And we didn't want to spoil the work that had been done and cause these workers the need to come home or be removed from the place. So one of the things we had to learn was how to pray with our eyes open as if we were in conversation with other people. So at any meal or any time outside, any place where we possibly could be overheard or seen, we had to talk like we had to talk to the Lord like this. And that we'd have a conversation to God, but I'd be looking at you. And it was is you really have to practice doing that. It was a strange uh, jump. But there was another piece of that 
process of um, training and it was that we had to avoid certain words. And if you get emails from people in close countries, you know what I'm talking about, they'll send, they'll put asterisks in certain letter words and things like that. But you couldn't say Jesus ever. You couldn't say Christianity, church, anything like that. We never say any words like that in public. So it was that one key thing, though, that was, we had to avoid, and that was saying the name of Jesus. It was so recognizable. You could not say the name of Jesus. So one thing that was difficult about it in this particular country, you had to. There were, there were many times at the table when we'd be at a restaurant somewhere where the food would actually be looking at you. <laughs> it had its eyeballs in. And so you're praying and looking at the food and looking at the people and it's looking back at you. It's, you know, you have to practice. We're going to get back to the name of Jesus in just a minute. And we get, as we get into this passage, we're in Acts. As you know, we've been going through this series in Acts. We're in 3 and 4 now. And we've left behind, this for a moment, the story of the church getting started. And we've moved over to this narrative that Luke gives us of Peter and John when they go to the temple to pray, but they get interrupted and they offer to heal. This man asks them for food, for, uh, for, for money, and they say, we don't have silver or gold. I have the passage here. Let me read it to you. It's uh, Acts 3, 6 through 8. He asked them for, uh, for alms, and they say, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaving up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them. And walking in, he was walking and leaping and praising God. After that, a crowd gathers, and Peter jumps into this speech. And we talked about that last week. Really, it was a message to these people about God's pursuit of humans through Jesus Christ. And he, it's a short speech, but the result of it is dramatic. We'll talk about it in just a moment. And what I want to do is read to you what happens after the speech. When he finishes what he has to say, this is in Acts 4, verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 20. It's a little bit long, but bear with me. It's, a, it's an incredible story of what God's doing. So starting in Acts 4.1. And I, w- I want you to look for two things, by the way, as we go through this. One is I want to ask you to look for the name of Jesus and where it comes up, where that phrase comes up. And another thing is I want to ask you to look for the courage that Peter and John display in this situation. So listen for those things. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men that came to and that number of men came to about five thousand. On the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, Peter and John in the midst, they inquired, inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. And all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing in front of you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they, cons- they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? A notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you'll have to judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. If you zoom out from this message this, uh, this part of the story that Luke is, is telling us, one of the themes that rises up continually in there, it, I hope you heard it, is the name of Jesus. From the healing all the way through, he keeps bringing up the name of Jesus and the people come to him and say, whose name are you even doing this in? So this theme of the name of Christ keeps coming up in the preaching, in speaking about salvation, in the accusation that they're, that's being made against them. It's the cornerstone of the story. Now, for us, we understand when somebody says, I'm doing this in the name of so-and-so, we, we get that. It's not something that was you know, unique to people 2,000 years ago. So if, uh, what we need to remember, though, is that using the name of Jesus is not magical. It's not a formula or something like that, and it wasn't in this case e- either. We can't pull that name out and say, oh, something's going to happen because I said Jesus. I think we naturally tend to understand that, but we need to be careful that that's not what's being taught here, what's happening. It's the authority and power behind the name, the essence of the name, that is what is encompassed in what's meant by the name of Jesus. So it's all of Jesus that's represented by the name of Jesus and all the things that he has done. Does that make sense? I think we, we get that. In those days, if someone had come and said, I'm commanding you to do this on the authority of the name of Caesar, you, the person wouldn't have done it because Caesar's name was Tiberius or Claudius. That wasn't the point. It was the fact that he was Caesar, right? It's what is behind the name. And so that's what we have here. It's what's behind the name. And so as we're talking about the name of Christ through this message and we, I'll be pulling out some points about it. What I want you to see is it's all that is behind it. All that is Jesus is encompassed in that idea of the name of Jesus. There's three things that I want us to see as we walk through this. And they're not necessarily what you might think we would pull out. They're, and they're not even really, I think, probably congruent in some ways. But we'll see what you think. One is this. The name of Jesus restores. The name of Jesus restores. The second thing is the name of Jesus offends. The name of Jesus offends. And the third thing is that the name of Jesus excludes. 
restores, offends, and excludes. But there's, there's one other thing in there, and we're gonna, I want you to ask you to be thinking about it as we go through this. And it's that theme of courage, because the name of Jesus also compels courage. You noticed it as I read through there, the courage of Peter and John. If you could personally not help the courage that you sensed because of the name of Christ, what would be different in you? What would change? If you could not help but have courage, what would change? Think about that a little as we go through this. Okay, Jesus, the name of Jesus restores. By healing the man in the first part of this story, Jesus restores him to health. In fact, Peter goes on to say a couple of times, he says, this man has been brought to complete health. He's completely restored. There is a, uh, a sense in which uh, there is a, a limited restoration that happens that God provides through Jesus sometimes. Okay, we think about this for a second. Not everyone was restored who needed to be restored, who needed to be healed, right? There were other people there, but only one was. And this is something we have to wrestle with. When we talk about the name of Jesus restoring, it doesn't happen for everyone in the same way, right? All of us, I know, have stories of suffering, and he doesn't relieve all of those stories of suffering. Because restoration is for the glory of God. When Jesus brings restoration, he brings it for God's glory. For his honor. And I know you've heard this said, but it's, it's very true, especially in this case, in this story. No suffering or relieved suffering is wasted. God uses all of those things. In this case, the restoration of this one man led to 5,000 people coming to Christ. So it led to the glory of God in ways that we may not ever understand. But it also led to 5,000 people coming to Christ. Remember his first speech? 3,000 people. Peter was a pretty good speaker, apparently. 3,000 people come to Christ. This one, 5,000. But that includes their families. This is pretty dramatic stuff. So this restoration was a catalyst as well. And Peter makes it really clear. It wasn't because of us. It was because of the name of Jesus that he restored. If we are left in a state of suffering, it is because that is the best thing for the glory of God. And I know that's a hard statement, but when you look at the scripture, that's what you see. The glory of God will be the result of suffering and of healing. Both. Okay, so restoration. That's one of the things that, the, that is behind the name of God, the, the name of Jesus. But somehow, even though this man has been healed, he's leaping for joy, 5,000 people have been completely transformed. All these things are happening. There are people who are angry about it. Seems kind of odd if you think about it. This great celebration is taking place, but all these people are angry. In fact, it was the leaders of the people 
that were angry. The name of Jesus offends. This is something we need to know. And I think another way of saying that is that persecution will come. Peter and John are standing there. They finished speaking to the people. And who comes up? They have the temple guard, the priests, and the Sadducees. These are some of the powerful people. And, and you know, we, whenever we see a police car, we slow down, right? Because we're, I don't know, we're kind of afraid of the authorities, right? Imagine this situation. You could not get any worse. The temple guard, that's the police, the Sadducees, these are the powerful elite, religious elite at the time. They come up to him, and the priests, the people who actually work in the temple, they're all dressed up. Peter and John, who knows what they're wearing? Remember, they're humble guys from Galilee. They haven't got much going on. So here, here is this. You can, now you can envision this situation. And they say, what are you doing? It says in Acts 4.2, it says they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection. But Jesus had prepared his followers for this. And I think you, you will remember this passage and, and others in particular. This is from John 15. It's verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 21. But if all these things, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. They will hate you on account of my name. I looked through a bit and I found that every time Jesus talks about people being hated on account of his name, people be, us being hated, it was on account of his name. Not on our account. Uh, and I, I heard, I don't know, is Diana here? She's not in here today. On Friday night, I had the opportunity to have dinner with a small group here at the church. And uh, one of our members, Diana, was there. And she said she'd had this uh, shocking sort of uh, interaction with a, a cook here in town. She had gone in and ordered some food and said something about praising God. Just, you know, her, the way she kind of does, if you know her. And this guy just unleashed on her just hammered her with, you know, all the reasons why there was no reason for her to praise God at all. Well, I, I, it was great to hear her say, you know, normally that would really, really hurt my feelings. But she said, I knew that it wasn't about me. I just happened to be the person that was standing there when he wanted to vent about God. And, I, and I, was, I was proud of her that she was able to, to take that and move it to where it, it went. This guy was angry with this. This is a perfect illustration of what Jesus was saying in John 15. But there is a curious situation. Uh, that, her situation was somewhat of an anomaly because if you read what uh, the studies show, people really... Non-believers don't have as big a problem with Jesus, 
Jesus as they do with his followers. You see what I'm saying? It's the church and his followers that are a problem, not Jesus. We're okay with Jesus. That... That, I, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit baffled by that. I think one, you can come up with your own reasons. I think one of the reasons is that we have taken the place of judge. And I've said several times in past messages that this church and believers that we know, we have, that's something that has to change for us. I have a writing buddy for, back from uh, my hometown and we would uh, do long road rides together. And in the process, we had a lot of conversations about Jesus. And the cool thing is, he eventually came to know Christ after probably a thousand miles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, God was obviously working on him from a lot, a lot more than, than my part. But his thing that he said straight up to me a couple times was, you know, Everything I know about Jesus is great. It's the church that I can't get over. And the people that have seem to have messed up all the stuff about it. So, something I want to just continue to reiterate to us, to this body, to myself, and I'll, I'll probably say it once a month for a long time. We have got to be messengers of reconciliation, messengers of mercy in our community. Another way of saying what I'm trying to say is, Let's make sure that don't, people that don't know Jesus are, are angry with him and not with us. Because that's the way it's okay for it to be. That's the way Jesus called it out to be. But we've taken that over. We need to, we need to change that. And I think at least one step is to interact with mercy I'm not saying by in any stretch of the imagination that we should approve of sin. That's, that's not the point. But Jesus loved sinners, of which we are and were. So we need to be careful not to become the judges. Let the hatred of the world be upon him. And now, the third thing, the Jesus name excludes this is a pretty profound thing that, G, that, that Peter lays out in this message. Look at Acts 4.11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a watershed statement. And it's a hard statement. And I know that there are people in this room that have all kinds of different reactions to that. Believer, if you believe in Christ, you have different reactions to that. If you don't. But the scripture says there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And I don't want, I'm going to spend five minutes on this. So if this is a big issue for you, I don't want the fact that we're only going to talk about it for five minutes to distract you or to be a problem for you. I'm not trying to give a flippant, quick answer to something that's so significant. Okay? 
So uh, let's work through this together. I think there are a couple of different responses, at least, that we can have. One is, to, is basically to say, Peter, I disagree with you. I believe in something called pluralism. And pluralism is this. All religions lead to God. They're all right. They're just different ways of reaching him. We've all heard that. Many of us have said it. Many of us may even feel that. And all of us should struggle with it because it's a significant thing. It's very difficult. But here, here's the thing. That statement sounds very tolerant and understanding and inclusive, doesn't it? It's, hey, everybody's going to get there. Just do what you know you need to do. Be good and do the right things with your religion and you will find God because that's all of these different religions are that. It sounds inclusive. But if you think about it for just a minute, you realize that to say all means of finding God are equal is to be just as exclusive. Because you relegate all of the religions at one time in one state. In other words, all of the religions make claims, especially this one. And so what that says is, I'm excluding what I want to exclude from all of your religions. It's, it's at least as exclusive a statement as to say that there is only one way. Think about it for a little while. Now, let's see. Here's a Bible. Here's one of our new Bibles. Would it bother any of you if I just turned over, let's say, to Acts 2 or uh, 1 Timothy, I think, from where Mark read, just tear some pages out? Does anybody does bother anybody? Just get that out. And I'm just going to, this whole part right here is bad. Let me get back to the Genesis here. Anybody uncomfortable with that at all? Um, it makes me uncomfortable. But the, the thing is, everybody, if we say that, then we're tearing out what we don't like. And if it made you uncomfortable for me to tear it out of a book, that we've got like 200 of them in here. should make us uncomfortable to say we're going to take out what we don't like. What's uncomfortable or hard for us. So what I'm saying is pluralism doesn't fit with Christianity. It does not fit with what the scripture says. In this, the words in this, not in this, this paper right here, but the words in the book, the scripture, are our authority. We have to deal with that. And just saying all religions lead to God is not uh, any more acceptable. It's just at least as exclusive. So let me say that one thing. Another reaction that we could have, another response is, and I think this is probably a, a better response, is a response of compassion. Do you know the first person in the scripture that, that Jesus reveals his identity as the son of God to? you know who that person is outside of the disciples? It's the woman at the well. Right? It's the Samaritan woman. Now when we read that, we're like, oh, that's cute. That's nice. 
You know, she needed some... No, not when the Jews read it. Not when the Jews heard it. That was the most offensive thing that they could think of. A Samaritan, those people are against God. They're against us. They're against everything that we believe in. They are all wrong. Every one of them. They're a race that is below us. They are them. All of us know that we all carry those things with us about different kinds of people in our community and outside of it. But the first person that Jesus describes him to, himself to outside of his immediate community was a Samaritan woman. That's awesome. That needs to be our approach when we, at least one of our approaches, is that we, understand, we have compassion that because Jesus is the only way, doesn't lead us to say, all right, well, I've got that. Let's keep that all together to ourselves. What that means is that we have compassion on lost people. That should be the result. It's not my job to fix all of that or to change the hardness of the statement, but it is at least my role in some way to have compassion on those who do not know him. There's one other way to look at this that I, I want to share with you. In, in this, it's this. This exclusivity of the gospel, of the name of Christ, is incredibly inclusive. You got that? The exclusivity of the name of Jesus, of the gospel, of, of all of this, is incredibly inclusive. Now, here's why I say that. And by the way, I didn't make it up. I got it from Tim Keller. <laughs> when I'm talking to someone about Christianity and who Jesus is, a lot of times, one of the simplest things I can say is a statement that is like this. It's, it's do versus done. Anybody familiar with this? Do versus done? Christianity, following Christ, is, is the only place where the work of renewing and reconciling our relationship with God has been done by the only person who could do it and who would do what it would take, and that's Jesus. It's done. All other religions, including cults, including some denominations in our own faith, are do. You have to do certain things. Do, do. It is on your shoulders to be good enough. The Hindus, by the millions, and it breaks my heart, will, go, will make pilgrimages to wash. And they're lost, and it needs to drive us to compassion for them. That's hard. But they're doing that because they have to check a box. Or Buddhists who kneel and prostrate themselves for hundreds of miles because they have to check a box. And they still don't know if they're good enough. And the Muslims who go to Mecca are required to go to Mecca because of the words of the prophet. It is because... It, is, it has to be done. It is due. This is the difference. I'm picking on those particular, but there are many, many others. It is not about due. It is done. And what that means is that it is inclusive. You cannot work your way into a relationship with God. You cannot be good enough. And we, we sang just a moment ago, if you read the last song that we sang, it was all about that. I cannot be good enough. 
And because Jesus makes that available, the only barrier is faith. All people are welcome into that relationship because of the work he has done. That is inclusive. Everyone is welcome to come. Everyone is welcome to come. And he has done the work. You don't have to get over all of these hurdles to be in a right relationship with God that will lead to salvation, which is what we're talking about. It is incredibly inclusive. So, we've seen this, that the the name of Christ restores, the name of Christ offends, the name of Christ excludes. But that one other thing that I asked you to look for in the passage, and that's this, the name of Christ compels courage. And I think, at least for me, and maybe for some of you, that could be part of the application of this. You've got to consider the situation that these guys were in. And I mentioned it just a little bit earlier, but only the first part. All of these leaders of the, of the temple come to them and confront them, and they're greatly annoyed. They're super angry, right? Everybody loves it when people are super angry at us. Here, here's that in Acts 4.13. Oh, let me, let me say one other thing before we get to that passage. Uh, the next thing that happens is they get put in prison, and the next morning they get dragged out, and the list of people that they go in front of gets bigger and much worse. And maybe you picked this up when we read it. They're imprisoned, and then they're brought before a guy named Annas and Caiaphas. Remember them from a story a few weeks earlier? And these guys circle around them, and they bring all of these other folks. And they circle around them, and they say, by whose authority are you doing this? Now, that was intimidating, because they saw what happened to Jesus before Caiaphas. 4.13. When those people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that those men had been with Jesus. And then at the end, do you remember this? In 419, they tell them not, the the leaders tell them not to speak in Jesus' name. And Peter and John answer them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. We cannot help it. And what that, what that makes me think of is those situations where I am confronted with a need for courage. It could be in class. I could be sitting there and something comes up about Jesus or Christianity. And I'm in class and... I don't know what to say, and I'm afraid. It could be in a situation where I'm tempted. It doesn't have to be a situation where I'm standing up to proclaim Jesus because the courage that he gives, he cares about all aspects of our life. In conversations at the coffee shop, in conversations that I overhear at the coffee shop, I know you've been in those situations. I know that I am. There is courage in his name. Any temptation that comes to us, there are times when we do not feel like we can overcome loving or caring or serving in some relationship because we're afraid. And he provides the courage. When everyone else is doing something and we feel like we need to do that one thing, He provides the courage. And here's the thing about courage, y'all. Courage requires 
fear. Courage doesn't mean anything if there isn't fear. So it, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have fear if we're relying on the name of Jesus. We will have fear. We all have our fears, some more than others. We will have fear. But look at the courage that the name of Jesus provides. It's, I, can't, I can't make the drama of that situation be as significant as it was to be in front of Caiaphas and know that crucifixion is a possibility for you. And say, hey, sorry, man, I can't help it. I just got, I, Jesus is who I follow. When we call upon the name of Jesus, we know that he will restore. We know that he will offend, and we will feel that. And we know that he is the only way to God. In, in knowing all of those things, we know.